Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast number 45. This is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Hi, and welcome back to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. I'm John McGowan, your host, and as always, I can be reached john at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Now, in this episode, an interview with Melissa Murata. Melissa is a spinning instructor out in Vermont. She's also a medical student, and she has started research as to the psychological effects of heart rate training, and I've brought her on so that you can get some understanding of it, and then hopefully both you and your class can participate in this study Ultimately, the idea is to get a better understanding of, you know, what are the perceived values of heart rate training to help us better communicate to those that aren't currently using heart rate uh, the reasons why they should. But before I get to the interview, just a couple of quick things. First, I'm still taking submissions for my most remote listener contest, and uh, the winner of which is going to receive a set of Epic Ride DVDs from EpicPlanet.tv. And if you're outside of North America and you're listening to this, I'd love a picture of you showing me in your remote location. Second thing is our group training for the Giretto Live Strong fundraiser event where the participants are training primarily indoors on indoor cycling bikes, of course. They're only a couple weeks away. Jennifer Sage, <laughs> oh, I just talked to her here the other day, and poor gal, you know, the weather she's up in the mountains in Colorado, has not been good for outdoor riding. So she has been forced to spend the majority of her time indoors. But Gene Nacy out in Pennsylvania, he's been uh, quite successful at things. So they're all fired up. And if if this is something you're not aware of, you want to run over to cyclingfusion.com, check out the details. I'd also appreciate it if uh, you throw a couple of bucks at them. It is a Livestrong approved fundraiser event. And I would appreciate it personally, as well as Jennifer and Jean. And also, uh, we're getting a lot of buzz about this thing kicked off without a lot of lead time. But for, there's a lot of people thinking that this would be a cool thing to do next year. And so with a year's worth of preparation, I think we can be ready to do so. Those of you that have posted reviews to iTunes, thank you. Those that have not, I would appreciate if you did. It just helps my ranking within iTunes, helps me to be a little more predominant, help me to reach more people like you. So now, I've rambled long enough, let's get to the interview with Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Thank you for having me, John. Oh, you're very welcome. Can you give everybody just a little snapshot of your fitness experience, what you're doing with spinning and that, so we get a little understanding of you on the front end? Sure, absolutely. Well, I am a Star 3 spinning instructor. I've been teaching for two years. Now I teach in Burlington, Vermont, but I come from New York City where I, I taught for the majority of my time, um, where I used to teach for New York sports clubs. But now as a medical student at the University of Vermont, that's where I teach. Okay, so you are in medical school. I am. I'm a first-year medical student. Hard to believe. It must be scary. A little bit, not going to lie. <laughs> 
lie. But, but, you know, what they say is that there's, you know, the heavy cardiovascular activity, there's no better stress relief, right? Absolutely. And it's, um, it, I always thought there would be a fusion and sort of interplay between my medical school life and my cycling coaching life. And there absolutely is. And it's, it's a nice rewarding existence. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on, and we're going to talk about your survey that you're conducting and your research that you're doing as far as people's uh, feelings of use of their heart rate monitor. Did I describe that properly? You did. Okay. Is When I talked to you here last week, your enthusiasm and your passion just kind of comes right through the phone. So I said, <laughs> I said oh my gosh. And, and And for those of you that, and I'm going to give this information later, but if you want to see somebody who writes incredibly well, and spintastic.blogspot.com. Thank you. You're probably one of these people that can type about 200 words a minute, aren't you? Maybe 400. Because <laughs> <laughs> I could, my brain could go that fast, but I could never keep up with that, getting it on the paper. All right, so, so talk to me about self-efficacy. And sure. first, describe what that is and why that would be important. Sure. You can define self-efficacy in a lot of ways, but the way I'm using it is that self-efficacy is someone's belief in their own ability to navigate the challenges of their world. And what does that mean? That means whatever it means to the person. So in terms of where a heart rate monitor fits into this, I have found both through my personal experience and my professional experience in coaching other people to train with heart rate monitors, that this goes beyond monitoring your heart rate. That your ability to control your own physiology through your breathing, through different techniques of, of constricting and relaxing different muscle groups, that you actually see a change in your heart rate as reflected by your heart rate reading, that you're controlling that, that for many people is an experience that is independent of their training. And does that translate into non-fitness realms of their life? Well, that was the research question. I know it does for me, and anecdotally it does for the people I coach, but does that generalize? Is that a thing, if you will, that the experience of learning how to control your own physiology, does that have ramifications for your self-confidence, for your belief that you can actually do the things you set out to do? I don't know. That's what we're looking at. You've decided to start your own study. This is not something that's really required for your education or anything like that, is it? No, it's been something I've been thinking about for a long time, and one of my life policies is that if I have an idea I'm really excited about, I try to actually do it. So I launched this survey this week, and the responses are flooding in. It's really exciting, that, and, and though I'm not going to reveal any major findings since the study's still ongoing, it's amazingly encouraging that the things people are telling me they make me not want to stop the study. We'll put it that way. <laughs> cool. All right. So what are you, are you trying to learn specifically? Well, the meat of this study is going to be an experiment that compares heart rate monitor users versus non-heart rate monitor users and measuring that self-efficacy construct. But what I'm doing now is predating the meat of this study. This survey, this phase one survey, is sampling current heart rate monitor users and asking them about the things that they think about while they're wearing their heart rate monitor and when they're not wearing their heart rate monitor. It, they're very open-ended questions, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to code these responses and publish the patterns that I see that will be then made available to the general community. 
But what is really interesting, and when I first met you last week, I didn't know about this, and this is what's coming out so far. When you ask people in an anonymous confidential survey when they are uninhibited in what they tell you. It is fascinating what people are reporting they think about when they have their RE monitors on. Both in a really empowering, encouraging way from a coaching perspective, I think, oh, wow, you're thinking about that when you're wearing your hurry monitor? That's really exciting. Good for you. And then on the flip side, you have people that despite having invested in a heart rate monitor, which I would have assumed reflected that they got what the whole point of monitoring their intensity was, turns out not so much. So what I'm, where I'm going to take these findings is that this has ramifications for coaches at large. How effective are you at educating people about their heart rate monitors? If you have people who tell you that they were prompted to wear a heart rate monitor so that they could obsessively monitor how many calories they're burning or make sure that they are always pushing beyond a certain point, Oh my gosh, that is so discouraging for me sitting here as a coach who doesn't coach this person. Still so discouraged that that was what somebody took away from their education about why to get a heart rate monitor. So that's interesting to me. Okay, so what do you see as the right reason to wear a heart rate monitor? The right reason to wear a heart rate monitor has to do with knowing exactly where you want to train to meet your metabolic needs. And you know that over the course of a given training week, you're working in different training zones at different days for different times for different reasons. And that you need to know what your reason is. And you have a monitor that tells you to make sure you're in the place you want to be training. But first, you want to know where to train and why to train there. How do you go about determining that? The best thing to do, the most accurate, is to get metabolic testing done so that you know exactly what kind of fuel you're using at different heart rates. Um, problem is that's very expensive. And oh, come on. It's not that expensive. It's not that expensive. You're right. I've had it done, and, and I encourage everybody to get it done. But if, people I, don't, okay. if anybody who listens to this podcast knows I'm a huge fan of that. I was just talking about this last week with Mark Tickner, who's a you know master instructor with the spinning program. and. Mm-hmm. And I, most places, it's about $100. And, and the way I look at it, and forgive me for jumping in here, but I just don't want to let this go by, is that when you consider the value of your time, and if you're, te- if you're working out three, four, five times a week, and you're doing it incorrectly, well, you've just thrown all that time away. You know, yep. what we used to call when we trained a cyclist is junk miles. You're not yep. recovering. You're not working, you know, and uh, that uh, that upper, you know, threshold or just above that would really cause some fitness increase. You're just wasting your time. So go home, you know, play with your kids. So forgive me for interrupting. <laughs> no, interrupt away and articulating exactly like that. Fantastic. Maya, it, it's kind of tricky. In New York City, the prices for metabolic testing are different than they are here. And now with a population I coach now, they can't justify spending more than 10 bucks on anything. They're college kids. They're undergraduates. So it's, um, it, I, I'm up against a lot. Okay. So barring of having a metabolic assessment, then how do you approximate people's training zones? I do submax tests with my groups, and if people are not open to that, what I do is I just have them take observations and just pay attention to how long they're able to hold certain things. When do they start to see just experiences they can themselves describe? They have burning in their legs, you know, they can only hold it for five minutes, those kinds of things, and we'll take averages of those over the course of five to ten training sessions. 
And, and actually, I've been in classes where they've done that, and it's it can be quite accurate. And it again, it's it's a it's a question between do I know myself better than somebody else or whatever. But but I recognize it at uh, anything. And and you know another thing you know that I want to bring up here is that I'm talking to all these people, and it's just it, it, you like the word use the word fascinating, and I do too. Uh, <laughs> But I'm recognizing that, you know, we're getting to, a, to use the marketing term, a tipping point where I'm, I'm watching people that historically were promoting exercise. Now we're recognizing that what we really need to be promoting is training. Yes. And what I'm calling indoor cycling 2.0, where we transition from entertainment-based classes to training-based classes that are measurable, specific. And our participants are going to see the results that they've always been looking for, but many of them have not not gotten. Right. And and that's back to heart rate monitors as it relates to self-efficacy. One of the mediating variables may very well be, and we'll see how the research plays out, but the idea that you have a specific way of measuring your own improvement, that you're training for something specific, and you have validation that your efforts are actually resulting in that specific endpoint, that might be what it is that actually impacts your self-confidence and your belief in yourself globally, not just fitness-related, but global self-efficacy. Exactly. If you're successful in the gym on Monday morning, you're going to be successful at work that afternoon probably. That's exactly right. Okay. No, that's exciting because I recognize, and based on all the people we've talked to we and all the comments I get from instructors, and, and I'm spoiled. I teach for Lifetime Fitness, very heavily invested in heart rate training. Metabolic assessments, phenomenal. And the people are seeing the results they need. Unfortunately, I think the greater population of indoor cycling is they're still having students saying, well, why would I wear a heart rate monitor? Right. I just want to pedal as fast as I possibly can and sweat and go, go, go without realizing that it is so much more than that. Correct. Exactly. And they're probably never going to achieve what they're looking for. because right. uh, Exactly. So that, so that was when I was alerted to your survey, I, I thought, well, this is exactly what we, we need. We need to know what are going to be the hot buttons to communicate to our students as to why they should invest in a heart rate monitor, invest in metabolic testing, or at least invest in, a, like you say, a threshold test, something to that, a submax test, something to that effect. That you have something that you're measuring yourself by and that you're using that. The reason, again, while you're on here is because I wanted to promote your survey to, oh, I appreciate that. Right. But I want to promote it to my listeners, which are pro- predominantly instructors. And I'm going to ask you, and I don't ask for much, that you would promote this survey to your participants so that we get that multi-level effect. I, thank you. And, and one of the reasons that I'm doing this is that I want to collect the attitudes of not just the people I coach. It's not useful if I have, you know, even 200 responses of the people that I coach both in Vermont and New York, if I have them feeding my own words back to me, what they think about their heart rate monitors. I want people from around the country, from around the world who use heart rate monitors to just tell me what they think about. And it's a survey that takes five minutes to do. And it's something that we can all learn from both in educating the people that we interact with on a given day and in seeing how effective we are in that education. Because we all know what needs to be done, but to find better ways of communicating that 
and and with the purpose of affecting some behavioral change in our students right. uh, is just phenomenal. I, right. I I'm I congratulate your. Well, I don't even know what the term would be. Just your the fact that you would take this on yourself. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, self-efficacy as a construct is something I'm very interested in. Extensive research supports that self-efficacy results in improved health outcomes. And as a future physician, that's obviously something I'm interested in. So if you if that's been borne out and we know that fitness and fitness related things result in improved health outcomes and mental health outcomes. We know that already. But if it's the case that merely having a heart rate monitor that is a measurement of your training in your life, just having that, if that actually results in improved self-efficacy, oh my gosh, how much easier is it going to be to get people to get one? Oh, exactly. I don't know. Did you hear my podcast interview with Dr. Linda Perrine? I did not. Tell me about it. I took uh, last fall, uh, I was a guest of Heart Zones at their conference in Colorado, and Dr. Alinda, she's a wonderful gal, she is a big believer in wearing your heart rate monitor all day long and monitoring the trends of your heart rate. And you can see over time, you know, when you're fatigued, overtrained, on the edge of uh, illness. Yep. And so, boy, it'd be interesting to get the two of you together because... uh, I'm sure she would she would be quite interested in hearing what you're doing. I will absolutely seek her out. This sounds very interesting. And and I have students who actually do that, especially when they first get their monitors. It's their new toy and they want to and they're doing it. They're wearing it all day long and they learn interesting things. And in fact, one of the physicians that I'm training under now at a rural clinic out in Plainfield, Vermont, I got him to get a heart rate monitor. This was my big accomplishment as a medical student, getting your mentor to buy into your world. Um, so he's, he's got a shiny new Polar F4, and he's real excited, and he's wearing it all day long. He's seeing, you know, which of his patient interactions makes his heart rate elevate, and when is he not in complete control of his physiology. And sure, you your whole day is influenced by that, your perception of how you're able to respond to the challenges that happen to you. Right, and your heart rate is, is uh, reactive, isn't it? it? It is absolutely reactive. One of the things I like to do in my own training and in the training sessions I structure for my riders is that through the process of getting immediate real-time feedback that you can be responsive instead of being just reactive, that you can go a little bit faster, increase a little bit of resistance, change your position, hear a different rhythm that makes your heart rate elevate, that you're not actually letting these things happen reactively, that you're saying, okay, I'm going to take on a little bit more at a time with a nice deep breath in through the nose, long breath out the mouth. Oh, look, my heart rate didn't change. I am taking on a challenge, but not reacting. Right. And the same could be true with your doctor friend saying, you know, this type of person normally causes my heart rate to elevate, which tells me there's something internally going on with me. Yep. But I can, I can control that by taking nice deep breaths and look, it comes right back down and that's how I'm going to get through my day. Well, that's really exciting, Melissa. I will uh, be posting um, links to all your information, post a link to your survey, and it's very short, although it is not multiple choice, which from a guy, I thought, ah, but you actually have to write it out. But at the same time, if you're, as a listener, um, if and you should be maintaining an email list with all your students on it so you can communicate to them, or if you have your own blog where you're communicating your class schedule, upcoming events, which again, you should be. If you could post this, add this, uh, forward this, 
I would and Melissa would really appreciate this because we'd like to get as large a sample as possible. And then I'm guessing that you and I are going to have a conversation in August. Is that when you thought you're going to? That's when we're going to launch phase two. That's taking all never before worn a heart rate monitor people, dividing them into groups where there some people will have heart rate monitors and a control group will not. And we're going to measure their self-efficacy before and after. And the what happens in between is going to be based on the results of this phase one survey. Got it. Okay. Well, that's very cool. Melissa, I want to thank you for being on the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's exciting. And again, all your information. Can I post your email address? On oh, my goodness. Well? Of course you can. Okay, perfect. I will put that on there. And for all of you listening, I would love it for you to, per- to, uh, to speak. And for all of you listening, I'd just love for you to participate. So, And if you have any further questions or comments, john at indoorcycleinstructor.com. And until next time, thanks for listening. 